Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? Hey Nick, how are you? Uh, it's alright, been an interesting week that is given me a good idea for a question to ask you. So mm -hmm. in a week that's been filled with kind of uh, the average level of German pessimism and general um, sort of dark clouds of reality, I thought I'd ask you the question, what thing, product, aspect of Germany do you love the most? Something I like about Germany is the variety of cultures you have when you step out onto the street, like restaurants or when you step into a supermarket. And it's it's like a Weltreiser. It's like a tour around the world, mm. but just around the corner from you. And uh, I really love that. Yeah. The multicultural society, as they say. Mm -hmm. I live in Bavaria, so I mean, we don't have a wide range. We have Indian food and we have sort of Italian food and we have some, I guess, inverted commas, Chinese food, I suppose. But like, I mean, it's not something I see in Bavaria, but certainly as you go north, it's something I see more and more. You see a lot more variants. That is quite a, a nice aspect. It feels like home when like someone says, would you like chili with your lamachun? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's yeah. it's like a superpower, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here for. It's like Popeye and his spinach. I do like going to Indian restaurants in Germany. And I know they've been maligned by certain people who can't seem to find a decent one. I've got plenty of decent ones near me. Mm -hmm. But there is a weird home from home aspect. I feel so comfortable in those environments because yeah. they're such a big part of, yeah. of British culture now. And being able to like just know everything that's on the menu. Like mm. I know that now, but like there was a period where you would look at the menu in Germany and go, I don't know any of these things. But like, what is that? I don't understand it. And you'd go to like an Indian restaurant and I'd, and I'd be the expert. They'd be like, what's a dal? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, but get one. They're amazing. <laughs> so there is that. I don't know how often people spend time thinking about the things they actually like, because I think it's very easy, as I've said before, to fall into the German pessimism trap. I fall into it all the time. Like, I have to pull myself out every time. I swim in it. <laughs> <laughs> you swim in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. It's one of those curious parts of living in any country, but also, I think, specifically in Germany, that there's a lot of things to complain about. Mm. And if everyone else is complaining, then it feels like it's okay. But... um I sort of say things that sound like complaints, but more like observations. <laughs> I don't know if I complain with about... A, with a witty twist to it, yeah. I, I don't know if I, as witty is in the eye of the beholder, right? I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so witty. I am a very oh, witty man. You're not you praising see. yourself today, Nick? What's, <laughs> what's the deal? Hey, the, pessimi the pessimism <laughs> is gone. This is optimistic 2023, Nick. He's still You've not been changed. worn down by... Hey, You've I, I, I listened to that. I listened to it back last week. What you said about me uh -huh. having being acting differently, and I'm like, I want to act like that. I want to be positive. So let's stay positive. There are good things in Germany, and one of those good things is there's lots of different kinds of restaurants out there and different places yeah. you can go and engage with different cultures on yeah. your doorstep. And I get to smile and make eye contact with strangers, and you know, mm -hmm. there's a feeling of belonging, like. Everyone's guessing who, you know, where we are from kind of thing, but nobody really cares anyway. Mm. And you, it, mm. it's, um, it's warm. I think it's interesting as well, because it's not something that people would connect directly with Saxony-Anhalt or like the Eastern States. 
the sort of they, I think a lot true. of people have their perception of the East. They wouldn't think, oh, there's a lot of different cultures here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, yeah. Talking of optimistic ideas, mm -hmm. I tweeted out yes um, last week uh, the idea, or rather more a question to the audience about who would be interested in watching a live episode of Decades From Home. Uh, this is on the back of sort of planning for the year and the realisation that people are going to take holidays. Eventually, my wife's going to have a baby. There's going to be some sort of junctures where we have opportunities to do some different ideas and different things what do you how do you feel about a live show do you like the idea of doing a live show is that something that terrifies you i didn't actually ask you so <laughs> now i'm asking you <laughs> you're not putting me on the spot at all my lovely boss yeah no dilly as long as you have a positive answer it's fine <laughs> is it going to be a video i kind of thought yeah there would be like a video element or like because it's like what we do now right i can see you you can see me but then other people could see you yeah you can also see my hundred spices and my unwashed balls Ah, don't worry, we'll come up with a, a nice background for you. And that's my salad for tomorrow. I know, it's a, it looks, uh, listener, it looks like a mighty fine salad. I mean, let's talk about what I've got behind me, which is two <laughs> fucking mattresses. So, I mean, okay, do, you know you when I, do you know when I interviewed Katya Hoyer, we were talking before the interview started, and she was sort of looking at me, but like not looking at me, she was clearly looking behind me, and I was like, and I was like oh, they're uh, the mattresses? And she's like, oh, you're a real professional, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't understand that's surely a backhanded compliment a beautiful one at that but yeah that's how we do it so you would uh, there would be a visual visual element i think there would be some kind of visual element but we'd probably have some kind of background you know to protect the modesty of your salad um one thing though i do not like these background blurring mechanisms that you have on um video calls right uh, because i'd rather be seen in my own kitchen in front mm. of dirty dishes than like suspended on some world famous bridge somewhere these things are weird oh come on you're uh, underestimating my my background producing skills i'd make something that would be very suitable for you very suitable backgrounds for us <laughs> i don't know nick like today you're wearing a white t-shirt and yeah. you kind of blend in very nicely yeah, to your yeah, background is just the skill you will share uh, yeah, I'm going to go in a full camouflage. No, my idea would be, I don't know, we'd come up with like nice back. I like I like the idea of what you can do with a live show and the idea that you can engage with the audience in a way that you can't do as we do the podcast now. I think that's something that's interesting. I think the energy of a live show, the sort yeah, of... definitely. The, the, what's the, the French word? Is it frisson or something like that? Like sort of the that feeling that, of the sort of... That's not French. I don't know. I, my French is appalling, right? Like, uh -huh. I don't... Do, do not... Do, do, so um, shout out to someone who's been, uh, aside from Simon, one of the most helpful and sort of greatest finds or, or sort of volunteers in the stuff that I do. There's a follower I have, someone who I follow as well, called Tina on, on Twitter. And uh, she proofreads all, all my articles now. Mm -hmm. um, like, she's amazing. It's great. But she proofread my article that I released at the weekend. And then she saw the tweet that I'd done. And she went, I think I'm going to have to proofread all your tweets because you spelt deja vu wrong. And I looked at deja vu and it was deja vu, but without any of the accents. And it was just like the most the most English version is like, deja vu. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so like my french knowledge is not great so um, okay but like is it frisson like a small amount of something mm, you might be onto something i have to look I this feel up. like i am i feel like i am and as a british person speaking french i'm just gonna 
clod my way through it until I get to the... You do to that. The, to the, but I think it creates a certain element of like interest and sort of energy within like the record. And I would Je quite, ne sais quoi. Uh, je ne sais quoi. There you go. <laughs> uh, and that's something that I certainly would... Um, oh, what's this with the producers bringing in here? A sudden strong feeling of what? A sudden strong feeling of excitement or fear, a thrill, a frisson of excitement. See... The producer is sometimes on my side. He's not always against me. <laughs> Isn't that nice to know? Um, so yeah, that would be the idea, this feeling of excitement or fear or, or what energy that would create. So that's kind of why I'm interested in doing it. But it might not be something we do in February. Maybe it's something that we set as a target to do this year. I would really like to try and do something live, even mm -hmm. if it is just online. So that's something to think about uh, for sure. What else has been going on? Well, how about this? I don't know a lot about German sports, but luckily I live next door to someone who does. Uh, my neighbor texted me out of the blue on Friday afternoon and said, Nick, the Handball Weltmeisterschaft is on today and Germany's playing Qatar. And I was like, right, great. And I, I had no idea that this is a thing, but apparently everyone in my street is a handball fan because there was a lot of shouting going on. As I, as I sort of wandered around with my daughter on, on, on Friday evening. So, uh, yeah, the Handball World Cup has only just uh, started last week. It started last Wednesday. And it's one of those sports that I would never have known about had I not moved to Germany, it being sort of unheard of as a concept. Mm -hmm. And if you've never seen handball, it's kind of a mix of like basketball, uh, rugby, and kind of football, like to a certain extent. It's got a lot of elements of, of all of them. It's a really interesting sport. And I'm going to put myself in a very dangerous position by asking the one person in my life who hates sport, what do you know about handball? Do you know anything about handball? Is it something um, that, is it the one sport that's got through the net of, of disinterest in sport? <laughs> I, I think you're freezing up, Nick. Oh, for yeah. God's sake, honestly. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. You know, you know, Dilly, I know we both come from cultures that are incredibly polite, but you can't say no in this instance. I have to look up a handball. Why, why is it called handball? Well, it's played with the hands and it's, it's, a, it's a ball. I mean, what's not played with your hands? Isn't every ball game a handball game? Football's not. Golf, golf definitely isn't. Golf definitely golf isn't. Golf is definitely handball. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny though, because. You have this, like, have handball as a sport that I don't really pay attention to. And then I came home and my wife's been off sick and she said, I watched I watched the Skiing World Cup or something today. And I was just like, I shrugged and I was like, and? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I have no interest in that sport. <laughs> She's like, it was really good. I watched it for hours. And I'm just like, <laughs> I wouldn't put myself through that punishment. So you discriminate sports? Uh, yeah, definitely. Olympics, have no interest in the Olympics. Have zero interest in winter sports. Football, rugby, maybe American football if it's the highlights, but that's about it. And you have no interest in any sports whatsoever. No, I don't want to sit and watch other people be active. Be honest with you, I've watched a few handball games because I've got Christoph, my brother-in-law. He plays handball. I've seen him Aww. play handball. And uh, my neighbor plays handball. He's a very good goalkeeper. Uh, so and I've actually, interestingly, before Christmas, I saw both of them play each other. That was dramatic. I didn't know who to cheer for. I was like, my neighbor versus my brother-in-law. Um, your brother-in-law, Nick. Always your brother-in-law. I don't know. The, my neighbor's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, there's something really nice about it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's one of those things you, would, you really don't see in 
Britain because you don't have the foreign culture, you don't have the club culture. And I went to this sports hall and they had like stadium seating and they sold beer and I drank beer and watched handball. And I was like, this is not a bad way to spend a Saturday evening at all. Didn't cost that much money. I think it cost four euros or something. And I was like, yeah, it's not a bad place to be. I know my brother-in-law, Christoph, has told me before about going, I think it was the European Meisterschaft or the Weltmeisterschaft he went to. And it's one of those sports that's, because it's not massively popular around the world, where he, he, they got like a VIP ticket and essentially they had lunch with all the people, all the teams, <laughs> sort of big hall and all the teams were like eating lunch and they were able to like have a chat with the Italian team and talk to the, uh, the, the German team. And I was like, that's a nice aspect of a sport where there isn't that like, oh, these are superstar gods of the sport and we can't talk to them and they're, they, they're worth millions. And it, it did feel like there was a bit of more closeness. So I do kind of like it for that. Mm-hmm. But, I'm not sure I could sit through an entire tournament of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to quickly move on to a topic that I hope is a little bit more enlightening for you. Have you heard, Dilly, of the film Manta Manta? Enlighten me, Nick. Honestly, I wish I could give you more than what my base remembrances of this movie. But it's one of the first movies I watched when I came to Germany. Mm-hmm. And it is an early 90s film that looks very 80s. And it's about the sort of culture of Manta owners, this car, the Manta, um, and sort of boy racers and sort of just the characters. It's a bit of a comedy, uh, like have street racers. Mm-hmm. And it's like a bit soapy in parts. And there's a bit of romance in there too. But it is the film that skyrocketed German superstar actor Till Schweiger to popularity, mm-hmm. basically made his career on the back of this. And the reason I bring it up is because they're releasing after what three decades they're releasing a sequel manta manta 2 and i saw the trailer and i was disproportionately excited by this <laughs> i was like this is amazing yes. oh yes great um and it's it's i don't know i mean i'm not sure if you did this when you first came to germany but i watched a lot of like some really awful german films like really yes. awful some really good ones but i was like trying to acclimatize the culture i watched a lot of till schweiger movies i think i pretty much watched every till schweiger movie um i had like a a year where i was kind of i was kind of in love with till schweiger <laughs> so that, that i was like <laughs> i'll watch anything with till schweiger in it until you appreciate that he doesn't actually speak properly at all he doesn't open his mouth when he speaks he kind of and it's sort of like, you're like, okay, okay, Till, I'll try and guess what you said. Is there a film that you could think of like, like Manta Manta? Is there a film that you watched in the early days or is there a German film that you like hark back to and go, oh, that's, I remember watching that in the early days when I first came. Have you got something similar? I don't know if you're ever going to talk to me again when I say this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I came to Germany and I still had to learn uh, some German. And mm-hmm. um, I turned to TV and mm-hmm. someone recommended that I watch Berlin Berlin. And it's a TV series where two people fall oh. in love and they realize they're cousins. So a lot of incest. And that's the beginning oh, of my... <laughs> that was my entry to German TV. Lots of incestuous oh. sex. I can't remember if there was sex though. Well, if it's yeah. a German TV program, there's definitely going to be sex. 
hundred percent. I mean, there's sex um, on Tartot, right? So why not on Berlin? I mean, it's it's beautifully shot, though. You wouldn't know they were having sex because it's so well produced. You know, it's the they've got a lot of filters on those cameras. You know, yeah, yeah. Everybody's everybody's shocked from the scene before. I don't I don't have a lot of nostalgia for the things that my friends have nostalgia for when they think about like the sweets they used to eat as kids or the cartoons. Like even mm-hmm. now as, as, as my daughter's watching cartoons, she'll watch things like um, Bobo or she'll watch Bean Amaya as well. And, and she watches that. She watches the old ones and the new ones. And like I'll watch them and they just have no resonance for me. Mm-hmm. And then so then having this where it's like, oh, yeah, I remember watching that. Oh, yeah, I remember. And also it reminds me, it looks exactly like all the pictures in my German school textbook. That's what Manta Manta looks like. It does. It gives me a lot of like sort of, uh, makes me feel really good. So I'm quite excited that yeah. Till Schweiger's returning to do the sequel. That should be quite exciting. Uh, he's reprising his role, I believe, of Bertie. Bertie, what a name for a lead character. <laughs> Bertie. <laughs> so many good. Yeah, it's called Bertie. It's so funny. <laughs> Honestly, watch Manta Manta. If you haven't watched it, go and okay. watch it now. You'll, uh, well, let's finish listening to the podcast, then watch it. That's okay. the right way to do it. Curious sort of incident that happened this week. Everyone basically has a cold in Bavaria. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Everyone has some kind of cough or um, sneezing, and it's not great. And we talked about that before Christmas, I think. But my wife was telling me that her friend had to take her her child to the doctors mm-hmm. because they'd run out of Hustensaft cough syrup, and basically the whole of Augsburg. And the only place that you were able to administer cough syrup was at the doctors. So people were having to go to the doctors, get appointments, go to the doctors just to get cough syrup. And I was like, there's a money-making scheme here. <laughs> like, we can make some money on this. Right, I'm writing this down. <laughs> I know if you want to be a rich person in Germany right now, just you've got to buy Houston stuff and send it south because you'll make your money back um, several, several times over, I would have said. I can just stick Ayurveda on something and I'm sure they'll buy that. I mean, is it not wild that you can't get cough syrup. I'm assuming you haven't been hit by this particular problem where you are. No, I mean, I've had a cough um, after the flu, mm. which lasted for a month. And um, it was also an embarrassing cough because you're like barking all over the place. And I mean, imagine that happening on the train and everyone <laughs> looks at you yeah. and you want to use well, your words to say, it's not COVID, you're fine, but you can't because you're coughing, <laughs> you know? So... <laughs> It's really awkward when it happens in class and you're teaching and you have to like, I mean, if you're really coughing and you're trying not to pee, you have to cross your knees and you're coughing. It's not pretty. So <laughs> I'll be honest with you, that's really not a problem that I've ever really had, but I can understand it. Uh-huh. That's, that might be a problem for you. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just thought it was totally weird. Totally weird. And it wasn't just, it, the worst part wasn't just like Houston Saft full stop. It was like every kind, like the kids kind you couldn't get either, which suggests mm. to me that people have got tried to get Houston Saft, couldn't get it, and then have gone and bought the kids stuff instead. Kids stuff. You know, Nick, <laughs> something that's really bothered, like, you know, it's, it's not bothered me, but I think about it. I think about it often. We have like plastic containers shaped like bananas to store bananas in the fridge. And we have things mm-hmm. shaped like onions to store a whole onion in the fridge. Mm-hmm. But like, we are still not on top of the common cold and the flu. I mean, there's so much yeah. that you can do. I mean, you can't even blow your nose in tissue. It comes out the other end. They don't even do have mean? proper tissue for our noses, Nick. <laughs> 
Have you not got a tempo? Yeah, I I buy only tempo. It's not good enough. It gets very wet very easily. Really? Maybe you've got a higher quality standard than I do, but I'm always I'm always happy with them. I've got two packets in my in my desk drawer right here. Maybe my nasal pressure is like very different to yours. <laughs> I'm all about bodily effluvia today. <gasps> very much, very much so. <laughs> Who knew? I wasn't prepared for this. Now I think um you're right though. It feels like we have all these other things, all these other gizmos, all these other products. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the fundamentals, we mm-hmm. seem to have sort of missed something along those lines. And no. I can't quite work out how it is that we got to that position. No. Um, you were talking about the flu vaccine. It was I, yeah. I, it was something that you thought was really worth doing. And, and mm-hmm. I've not I've not got the flu vaccine. But now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have done. Maybe that was what I should have done. But you yeah. got it last week, right? I got it like a week ago by a very skilled nurse, may I add. I'm very grateful for her gentle touch. All right. I would assume at this point that most nurses are pretty across the idea of giving people injections after, you know, the whole <laughs> the whole pandemic thing. You <laughs> the think whole wrong. Vaccine you thing. think wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, did you have a similar kind of reaction is with the covid um vaccine did were you a bit sick afterwards or was it actually just totally fine not sick i I just don't like needles because they can never find my veins when they have to do iv so yeah it's um yeah so the worst of it is this is what i was thinking in my mind it's like when you said what about the flu vaccine uh, in my mind i was like isn't that what old people take and then i was like wait wait a second I think I might be old. Maybe don't say that to Dilly. <laughs> no, no, I'm, you're very young. That was why I was curious. I Thank am you. old. And so my assumption was, listen, listen to me dig so fast, listener. How fast can I dig myself out of this hole? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> you've not seen anyone dig like me. Uh, Dilly, you're so beautiful. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, no, but it was kind of like, it was something like my mum would say, oh, I got the flu vaccine, or my grandparents would say, and I'm like, oh God, maybe it is something I need to think about. I do have that angst about coughing in public, though. Mm. I do understand that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you, you want to hold up a sign or like wave your arms and go, don't worry, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not carrying. It's fine. <laughs> also, if you work in school, Nick, where like mm-hmm. kids eat their fingers and pens and then mm. they hand you their papers and you're like okay it's full of germs i should probably uh, you know get all the vaccines mm. that i can i mean my other alternative instead of getting the flu vaccine is just to buy a hazmat suit when i'm handling my daughter because she's clearly a vector for all the infections i'm going to get in my lifetime it's very clear she's just a, a little petri dish of weird <laughs> combinations oh it, it, <laughs> Is she going to Kita yet? Not yet, but I mean, Ooh. wait till it happens. Uh-huh. Yeah, then we'll, we'll be cancelling the podcast because I'll, I'll be dead. <laughs> I'll be dead after <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> Anyone who's been reading the German media over the weekend will not have failed to notice that Christine Lambrecht, uh, the defence minister for Germany, has been uh, very much at the forefront of discussions. There was news uh, released on Friday that potentially she was considering resigning. And then, lo and behold, come Monday, Christian Lambrecht did resign as Defence Minister after months and months of criticism, justified in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going by her five-line resignation letter, which isn't a great standard. Um, <laughs> she didn't apologize for anything, didn't say um, that there was anything that she'd done wrong and uh, preferred mm-hmm. instead to blame 
the media for their focus on her personal life. In fairness to the media, which it's a weird sentence that I don't usually say, in fairness to the media, <laughs> Ms. Lambrecht was pretty awful when it came to communicating with anyone, anytime, anywhere, and it culminated in one of the worst pieces of political comms I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And I mm -hmm. spent a very long time watching Theresa May, Liz Truss, and uh, Boris Johnson. Um, and it was this video that she produced for New Year where she said some very weird things about her experiences over the last year to the theme tune of hundreds of fireworks going off in the background. Yes, um, I saw that. And given the fact that she was talking about the war in Ukraine, it was probably not the best setting for that discussion. Anyway, she's gone and she will be replaced by Boris Pistorius, who, uh -huh. uh, pardon my sort of terror at any politician called Boris, um, 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 <laughs> unsure will be as, as much of a success as is wanted. But uh, yeah, I was just wondering what you thought about this. Do you think Miss Lambrecht was treated poorly by the media or do you think this is all kind of her own fault? Some very poor choices. I mean, the mm. last very poor choice was the uh, video, um, I mean, addressing people, talking about the war in Ukraine with fireworks going on behind her. And as someone noted on Twitter, without a microphone. I mean, if you want to say you're bad at communication, just talk mm. to people where there are, there are fireworks going off. Mm. It just seemed all a bit, just a bit sort of amateurish. Um, but I was looking at the, uh, the 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 history of this position in Germany, mm. and it's not, from my mind, it is got to be the hardest position in peacetime as well, given that so many politicians have run through in the last decade in that position. If we go backwards, uh, we now have Boris Pistorius, we had Christine Lambrecht. Before that, up until 2021, we had Anna Greg Kramp Karrenbauer, or for some reason she was constantly referred to as RKK, which I didn't think was a great nickname, but there you go. Uh, before that, we had the European president, Ursula von der Leyen, who is, by my mark, one of the longest serving defence ministers at five years. Then we had Thomas de Mazier. Then we had Karl Theodor zu Gutenberg. Uh, what a name. Uh, mm -hmm. And that takes us to around about 2009, right? So we've had a lot of people in this position over the last decade. It seems like a, a job mm. that no one really wants. But that kind of marries to how Germans see the military, right? There isn't a lot of flag waving in general, but certainly none for the military. Because I remember in the mid 2000s and early 2010s in Britain because Britain has no problem with its military whatsoever celebrated mm -hmm. military veterans are treated very much in a similar vein to American military except we're not as earnest as to clap the military in the way the Americans certainly have been known to do in the past uh, but they are sort of celebrated certainly veterans of the second world war are celebrated a lot but even still it's not unknown for people to, to sort of shake soldiers' hands and say, thank you for your service. I've seen that happen before. I was thinking about the same thing. Where I live, uh, we have a lot of military personnel taking the train up and down. I mean, I think if you have American soldiers taking public transport, then, I mean, people also like communicate with them or talk to them. And here there is nothing of the sort. And, you know, everyone's just sitting in their corners, coughing away or not. And that's it. Wasn't it in 2011 that the, the Minister of Defense, Karl Theodor zu Gutenberg, resigned because of a plagiarism scandal? 
Yeah, he got taken down. He's one of the first politicians, I think, he got taken down by this whole like fear of the plagiarism. And, you know, we talked about um, the mayor of Berlin last week, and I think mm-hmm. there's a plagiarism scandal revolving around here as well. And I think they tried to get Merkel at one point with the plagiarism <laughs> scandal. And I was like, that's the thing you're going after her for, the plagiarism, not all the other stuff. <laughs> but... Yeah, he uh, he's a very strange character. He uh, he was the sort of he was the great new hope of the right for a long time, mm-hmm. and then it, it basically his entire career in politics was destroyed. I think he's like working at some high end American university now as a lecturer um, or professor or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's, it's like Harvard or something ridiculous like that. You're like, whoa, right, okay, you fell on your feet, didn't you? Having plagiarized his thesis? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> He's showing everyone up. Maybe that's what he's there for. Maybe he's a plagiarism <laughs> detector for the university. But um, yeah, he uh, he's had a sort of rotten sort of period as minister and then, mm. and then off he popped at the soonest occasion. The whole episode kind of shook my faith in the idea of the Ministry of Defense in the first place because uh, he first responded saying, no, he hasn't plagiarized. And then he said, yes, a little bit. And then it turned out Mm. that he's used an entire flyer or something in his thesis in its entirety. And then he was like, yeah, okay, fine. And he kind of left. Yeah, it's not great, is it? There's a journalist who I occasionally interact with on Twitter. Uh, We've had a few conversations. Um, It's... uh, he works for the um, the local. It's um, Aaron um, Gashburn. You can hear him on the local podcast if you wish to hear his dulcet tones. And he said, uh, "Well, you know, it's it's kind of a refreshing change from um, the kinds of resignations we've had in the past. It's nice that we've had someone who's just resigned because they're incompetent, as opposed to uh, some other scandal." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right about that. I did think it was one of those things where I just don't see how you get it right in a country that instinctively doesn't like defense and the military it seems like a job where people go in and if you see how ministers of defense work in a lot of other countries they go in and they are for the military and they're there to get the best stuff for the military they're there to support the military try and get as much for the budgets or trying to support veterans or whatever Mm. and it seems in germany it's like there's a there's like a split personality happens where half of them knows that that's their job, but the other half instinctively doesn't like the military. And it's always the the sort of feedback you seem to get from military personnel after one of these defense ministers resigns or leaves their position is like, well, they didn't even like us. And I think it's like this need the Bundeswehr have to, to be liked. Like, why doesn't anybody like us? And you see that, as you said, on the train. People don't really engage with military mm-hmm. personnel. Um, I know people who cross the street when they see military personnel. They so don't like the military. Interesting. That, yeah. Which I think is, it speaks to a kind of feeling, that, an instinctive feeling people have about, oh, well, this, is, this isn't good, you know. War is bad. Let's have peace. And I feel like, that is kind of contributed to the situation we find ourselves in in 2023 with Ukraine and, mm-hmm. and, and with much more aggressive uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important position, right? It's such yeah. an important position to get right. I just wanted to say, uh, like, I don't know if it's ominous. So before I saw the name of the person who's uh, uh, who's now taken up the post, I think he's uh, Boris Pistorius. That's correct. That's his name. And I saw his photo first and I he looked, like from afar, like Armin Laschet. I was like, fuck, is Armin Laschet the defense minister? <laughs> no, I think Armin Laschet killed his chances of returning to political office. Um, I'm sure he'll creep up somewhere. He always bloody does. But yeah, when you say it like that, you realize it could be much worse. <laughs> it could be so much worse. 
So Nick, something that we've spoken about over the weekend, the massive rise in the racism rhetoric in Germany, on in the German media and across uh, social media platforms. Mm-hmm. This came from a very nicely and righteously angrily written article that I found on Twitter. All right. You might know the writer. He's quite nice and he's quite well informed and... Uh, uh, quite well informed and articulate. They go hand in hand here. Um, and he's a writer called Nick Houghton. <laughs> I see you've subscribed to the blog. You didn't make me do that at all. <laughs> I didn't force you to read nothing. I didn't. Don't make that. Don't 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 make the listener believe that I'm forcing my co-host to read all my blogs. Read my blogs. God damn it. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> This is The Trap for Fools, the article uh, mm, published the tra- on yeah. Saturday. And there you address, uh, you see similarities in what Friedrich Merz is doing mm-hmm. right now. And he has a pretty strong arm on uh, Twitter. And his mm. comments on the New Year's Eve fireworks problems. Mm. And you see a lot of similarities in what you saw in Britain during the times of David Cameron. Yeah, exactly. What's the feeling that you have? I mean, it's despair, but how do you deal it's, with it? It's, it's real nervousness is what it is. It's something I've been thinking about for a while. I've been playing around with this idea, and, and I wasn't sure how accurate it was, but essentially it feels like the approach taken by the German opposition, uh, the CDU led by Friedrich Merz, feels very similar to the approach taken by David Cameron in the early 2010s when it comes to attempts to draw votes from the right wing mm-hmm. or basically take right wing talking points. Mm-hmm. There's been so many shit prime ministers in Britain that it's almost forgotten how awful David Cameron was mm-hmm. and how a lot of the things he did and something I don't really mention in the article, but things like austerity really had a damaging impact and removing money from the state. and But also the thing that really, really caused, I think, I feel like it caused a lot of of the problems with his approach in 2015 Mm -hmm. to the 2015 election where he took the ideas of the then most right-wing party in Britain, UKIP, uh, headed by Nigel Farage, took a lot of their talking points and integrated them into his own manifesto, one of which was a straight referendum with no precautions and no facility for a second referendum. And the contrast I'm making is that David Cameron was comes from a born-to-rule kind of legacy. He went to literally the most prestigious school in the country, then went to Oxford, and then walked into a position as a, I think he was a special advisor or an advisor, and then he got a seat as an MP, and then he became prime minister. And that kind of is track to power. And although Friedrich Merz didn't go to the necessarily to elite schools and universities in the same capacity as we see in Britain, it does feel like when I watched him on, I think he was on Lands, was where he made these statements about the need for integration because of the issues that he'd perceived from the fireworks debacle or riot, as people were talking about in Berlin during New Year, Sylvester. His attitude, is the way he held himself, the way he spoke, screamed this kind of, I'm born to rule, I deserve to be in charge, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. And what I know from David Cameron is he fucking knew nothing. He knew nothing. Mm -hmm. He was just a pursed, red-faced arse of a man who Mm -hmm. walked around with a lot of confidence that wasn't really 
justifiable. And he, through that confidence, he made decisions that were detrimental and ended up with Brexit. Like, you don't make those decisions if you think you're going to lose, you know? And in fact, there's a story about how he was telling EU leaders months before the Brexit referendum, don't worry, there's no way we're going to lose this. We've seen what's happened. Now we see mm -hmm. the Tory party is a right wing, as mm -hmm. right wing as it's ever been, yeah. is a shadow of its former sort of self. And I look at the CDU and I look at how he's communicating and he's, he's using RFD talking points and he talks like the RFD. The strategy the RFD instituted in between 2016, so 2016 to round about 2017 was say vile things, apologize mm -hmm. afterwards and just keep doing it. So we get in the spotlight people talk mm -hmm. about us no one remembers when i apologize but people talk about it, and it's exactly the same strategy and in fact mertz was talking about it the weekend where he's like oh i'm surprised mm -hmm. everyone was so angry and upset about what i said and i'm just like you you don't know the fire that you're playing with you mm -hmm. think you can control the right-wing narrative yep. and it yep. will take you over and it will take over yep. your party and that's the danger and i don't know whether it's me being maybe it's me being too pessimistic but that's something that I have in my gut and I just, it just alarms go off every time I hear him speak. Yeah. Do you agree with it? Do you sort of, is that something that you can, I, can sense as well? I relate to your feelings here and uh, the way you think, uh, the way you approach this because, um, I mean, we've had a similar case in Sri Lanka where uh, one political party, uh, I mean, the more nationalistic it is, the more right-wing its rhetoric is, the more votes they get because I mean uh, you have the singular people as an ethnic majority and if you play into this nationalist racist hand you have the majority votes and uh, you don't really care I mean you're setting fire to an entire forest just to like cook your mm. meat yeah I hope that works as an analogy but, but I mean it's going out of control it's gone horribly out of control I mean, we had a war and we never got, I mean, there is no reconciliation. And mm -hmm. to stay in power, you need the divide now. And mm -hmm. uh, that's a very dangerous position to be in. I don't see a way out. And it's painful to watch Germany going down this route, not having learned anything from its past. I think it's all the more shocking given the news that came out today. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to approach the numbers that had been mentioned in the media about who had been arrested, because that was ultimately the the central force of a lot of arguments was, I think they'd mentioned that 145 people, initially they said there was 18 nationalities that had been arrested. And then that was like, oh, well, actually there wasn't. And then they'd said, oh, well, there's this many with Afghani um, passports and this many with Syrian passports. And they sort of tried to break it down. But they were mentioned that it was 145 arrests, and I think they'd said some proportion of those had been had been German, so like 45 mm -hmm. of them had been German or something, or had German passports. And I think that was the thing that got me, was they said, mm -hmm. oh, they have German passports. They didn't say they are Germans. They said Germans. they have German passports. And the, and the sort of the subtext was they're not really yeah. Germans, which are yeah. like for someone who has got a German passport, has done the citizenship, has jumped through the hoops, basically like saying you're not fucking german even if mm -hmm. you have a german passport you're not the same as us right yeah. which i think is well fuck those guys straight up right that's just all i think about that the mm -hmm. the other side of it is that when mertz was talking mertz said things in such an inflammatory way he described afghanis mm -hmm. as arabs which is like 
It's like me saying you're fucking Indian or Pakistani and you saying that, oh, Nick, you're American. You know, it's like, that's not mm -hmm. my nationality. That's not my culture. That's not my background. Yeah. And in fairness to Lance, although I think Lance has got a lot to fucking speak up for because he's been on this topic for two weeks. He's been talking mm -hmm. about it for two weeks. He's been putting pressure on his guests. And if you don't know who Lance is, he's a, it's a very popular political talk show that a lot mm -hmm. of people go on and it becomes a focus a lot on online as well i like him but he often comes across as kind of the know-it-all who doesn't really mm. know it all and i think he didn't say anything about it and i was like well, that's telling isn't it that your presenter doesn't mm -hmm. actually know the difference between someone from afghanistan and someone from um an arabic region right or an mm -hmm. arabian region sorry and and i was like well who's doing that research clearly no one and so he did have someone on later in the week who sort of has a counterpoint, so fair play to him. But at the moment, when you have the leader of the opposition basically misconstruing different nationalities and bundling everybody into a package and equally also saying, yeah, you have a German passport, but you're not really German. It's mm. bullshit, right? Yeah. Then we discover today that actually, and this is in Süddeutsche Zeitung today, and, I, and I'll post it in the notes, the interesting thing that came out today was that actually the numbers weren't the numbers that they said. In fact, and this is from today's story in uh, Süddeutsche Zeitung, they said 145 mostly foreign perpetrators were arrested in Berlin, but actually the numbers are probably 38 mostly Germans. And you're like, oh, right, so you were just talking shit for two weeks. Are we going to have another two weeks where we go... Germany's got, a, like, it clearly has a, an issue with race, talk shows, politicians, the police clearly have issues. No, we're not. They're not. They're going to talk about the defence minister all, all the rest of the week. They're not going to point out their failings. And I think that, for me, is, it's unconscionable, it's objectionable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Very. And there is no reparation, there is no apology, no. there is... There's no. nothing constructive to make up for it. There's no acknowledgement of it. And, and I mean, it's so high-handed... And mm -hmm. um, one thing I mentioned in school is that, so I teach in Merseburg, and it's a very small town in Sachsen-Anhalt. And the students are not always very happy about living in Merseburg or, uh, you know, I mean, it's not very interesting. Uh, it's not Leipzig, it's not Halle. So I found out that uh, Javad Karim, one of the founders of YouTube, uh, was actually born in Merseburg. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's something I tell the students to make them realize that actually, you know, your town is also quite cool and they're all into YouTube. So, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't believe me. It also made me quite sad to realize that his parents uh, took him to America when he was a kid uh, because uh, they couldn't deal with the, the racism and uh, the rise of right-wing rhetoric. I haven't really discussed that with my class, but, I mean, these are the, I mean, I don't even want to say unsavory because that sounds like a very Victorian look at something that's very pressing. It's there. It's dangerous. And um, I, I think you said it's like watching a car crash, but mm. it's like also a car crash and you're in the car. Mm -hmm. It's not like secondhand embarrassment for someone else. We are mm. going to feel the effects. I mean, we have very different experiences. I'm a white man and you're a woman of color. We're both immigrants, we're both migrant and integrant, we have the migrant background, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. right? But I appreciate our experiences are not the same. And I think something that someone had said to me the other day when I posted this was was like, I think one of the comments, and it was one of the shitty comments you get, was like, well, you do know they're not talking about you. And I was like, 
that's how you fucking that's how you divide the group mm. right you go oh well it's all right you're one you're of the good, one of ones, the good ones no you're not one of them bad ones and i'm like the we're all fucking good ones until you give me evidence otherwise and i'll be bloody damned if if you think that shitty little strategy of like you're an okay one and they're yeah. not so you were in the in group it's like well if that's what it's worth you can fucking stick that up your ass i'd rather be in the out group mm. thank you very much because i think we all have to stick together whether we're british yeah. migrants or whether we're sri lankan or whether we're syrian or whatever it doesn't yeah. matter whether refugee migrant or whatever we we have to sort of look out for each other and i appreciate as well that my voice carries further than a lot of others because i am fucking loud white male right i appreciate i have a fucking podcast and a blog i understand my privileges mm -hmm. and i'd like to think that i'm trying to use them in the right the right way uh messages on a postcard i guess if you think i'm not uh you know where to find me <laughs> um but i think it's that strategy of taking these talking points apologizing for it later not really doing the research and then not really giving a shit about the ramifications or the yeah. effect on the actual individuals. And like you said, when you go on a national talk show and you say those kinds of objectionable things that are based not on fact, but on personal preference or simply a desire to win an election, which I'm not entirely sure what his goal is. Like, what's the vision of, like, it's very hard to come up with your vision to, and, and communicate that as a politician to uh, to a voter, your vision for the country. I don't know what Mertz's vision of the country is. In the same way, I don't know what fucking David Cameron's vision was, mm. but I'm sure he didn't expect that his legacy would be the, essentially the breakup of the United Kingdom and the destruction and shattering of the polity, right? Which was which is his legacy. But I tell you what, David Cameron never fucking apologizes, mm. and neither does Friedrich Mertz. He's never said sorry for the shit that he did and his stupid decision making. And it's like I just went on Twitter there to see is Mertz bothered his ass to make a statement nope nothing mm -hmm. at all he's moved on now he's talking about something else now he's complaining about protesters and Lutzerat and stuff like that he's not actually talking about you know what I, I got the numbers wrong and I should have been more careful and I just like that's the mark of, of someone can you admit fault if you can't admit fault I don't know what the fuck you're doing trying to become a politician and I am angry about it because it is that I know what can happen. Mm. I've seen it happen. I've yeah. watched it happen. Yeah. And if it happens to fucking Germany, it's not good. You can't no. dip your fingers in the cesspool of the right wing, pull out their talking points, use them for your own ends, and then not expect that to infect yeah. your party, infect your rhetoric, and infect the people who vote for you, man. Yeah. Like, it's so dangerous. I mean, this is radicalizing talk, no? It really is, yeah, yeah. I think most British people whether there were brexit voters or or remain voters know how toxic it got how scary it got at times how vicious it got and the discussions and the divisions that were created i'm not saying germany's going to have a brexit mm. but when you start setting your political agenda counter to the better needs of the country yeah speaking in that way isn't unifying it isn't bringing people together it's yeah. separating people it's divide and rule it's the old tory strategy and i'm like that's all you've got in 2023 yeah. your strat major strategy is divide and rule be a bit racist hopefully get some racist votes that's not a vision that that anyone should be fucking buying into yeah. it's a lack of vision if you ask me and you can't see beyond the length of your nose mm. i mean if you really can't see what your i mean what the repercussions are mm. unless it's what you want So this is a new study on immigration that, that came out recently and it sort of 
claims that there's a need for integration, it says in Germany, and it, this has risen sharply, and that it's the highest need is in cities. And I just thought, I just I, honestly, when I read it, I was like, I wonder what Dilly thinks about this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you make of it? What did you make of this article? So I'm going to start with the title, and I'm not very happy with the word Integrationsbedarf. Integrationsbedarf in Deutschland stark gestiegen am höchsten in Großstädten. So the idea is that there is a need for integration in Germany and that it has risen sharply, particularly in large cities. And the moment you say the need for integration, you're putting the onus on people who've arrived in the country. And I have to separate my own experiences in Germany where everything I do is evaluated to like... Um, how loyal am I to the country? How loyal am I to the workplace and my immediate German friends? And how easily am I letting go of my foreignness? So mm. these kinds of articles are very triggering for me to read, but um, I have to keep the reactions separate um, in order to be able to talk about integration as uh, something being two-way. And um, people are allowed to be who they are and also adapt to something new. And this makes for a very positive experience in a new country or in a country that is at some point not going to be new to you. And this was a study done on the citizenships of children where mm -hmm. the higher the number of children without a German citizenship, it's a statement about the families because in 2000 onwards, the law has been that if one parent is a permanent resident in Germany or has lived in this country for eight years, the child can have a German citizenship at birth. And so if a child is not a German citizen, it means that the parents have come very recently to Germany or the parents themselves have not applied for a permanent residency. I mean, we are debating currently on how to make the application process for citizenship easier. And then we are also saying, but people are not applying for citizenship or they're not integrating themselves soon enough either. And you can't have it both ways. I don't know, that was my my opinion reading the article. How did you feel about it? Oh, I think it's definitely two ways. The people who talk in this way about the need for people to integrate are people who've never had the experience of what that actually means. I think it's dead easy to sit in a ministry or sit in a university and talk about immigration from every perspective, left or right. But actually the experience, and I've had, I reckon I've had like a 20% migrant experience because of who I am and how mm. I look, right? I haven't had the full remit. But I know what I've had to do. And I know how I live my life. I know that in a lot of ways, I'm not that German. Like behind closed doors, I'm how integrated am I? Yeah, I speak German, sure. But like, don't like handball, you know? And it's <laughs> and I remember I mentioned this before Christmas and I got dogs abuse from people about, well, when they're talking about the new passport, they're not talking about integration. You just need to meet these criteria. And I was like, you are clearly someone who's never experienced what it's like to be a migrant somewhere. If you think it's just about fucking criteria on a piece of paper from a ministry, you know nothing and really should not be commenting because it's not about the piece of paper. Do you know, for me, it is mm -hmm. about the piece of paper. I go in, tick the boxes and leave, but I know that my experience is not the same as everybody else's. And I think that is the thing that's disturbing is that we talk about integration. We talk about it to the ends of the earth. We don't know what it fucking means. We can never define what it is. And when people talk to me about being integrated they think i'm integrated and i 
believe this to the core of my being because I am a white man. They look at me and see integration. And you tell me, Dilly, but I have a feeling that a lot of the time you wouldn't be treated the same way. They wouldn't see integration. If we're standing together and I said we're both German, I think we'd get some funny looks, right? Yeah. Because you are. You're fucking German. I'm German. You're German. These are true facts. You gave up your passport to become German. I would say you're more integrated and more German than I am. But I suspect the vast majority of Germans would not face value judge it like that. And And it's sad to think that. It's sad to think that that's the case. I remember when I had lived here for like four years before I could go back to Sri Lanka. And from then on, I saw my parents like twice a year and I used to fly over. Sometimes it was also for work. And I remember a, a senior colleague. Um, when I say senior, it means that the, whatever the person thinks about me also has an effect on me and how I'm perceived in the workplace generally. So mm-hmm. uh, a senior colleague mentioned, uh, you know, you you go to Sri Lanka all the time. You don't, you know, you're not here during the holidays, for instance. Like, yeah, um, I I like seeing my parents. I haven't seen them in a long time. And I can't explain in words, or at least then I couldn't, how difficult it is to see, you know, you go back after four years and your parents have fucking aged. And and then you feel... God, yes, yes. There's so much guilt in that, not being there Mm -hmm. and them not being able to come see me. And then, like, you see them in chunks of six months and so much mm-hmm. changes. I mean, they fall sick, they are, they get better, and then I'm not there. I can't go whenever I want. So there is so much in that that people don't understand. And mm-hmm. then this person says, well, you know, you see your parents twice a year. That's a lot. My mother lives close by and I don't see her twice a year. And it's beyond my uh, emotional capabilities to have to explain to someone that, that is their choice and they have the choice to do mm. that if they don't want to see their parent mm. twice a year. Mm. I would see my parents more often if I could and that should be my choice. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that moment, I had a very sinking feeling that this was going to come and bite me in the ass a couple of years later and it did. Because at the time I was being seen as someone who was not appreciative of my uh, role in the workplace and I kept escaping to Sri Lanka and they see this as some kind of disloyalty and uh, where you are mm-hmm. not very happy to shed your non-German identity and they see it as a resistance and that's very difficult to deal with particularly when the people who are close to you in Germany think like this you also don't have a support group. But then I get the weird scenario where people complain about immigrants to me. Ah, yes. They'll say stuff about immigrants and I'm like standing there and I'm like, you do know I'm an immigrant, right? Yeah, Nick, but we don't mean you. I'm like, you fucking do. <laughs> you fucking do. That's what you're saying. Like, like, And I know plenty of British migrants who are the least integrated people in the entire world, but no one's fucking chasing after them. No one's, no one's naming them on lands. No mm-hmm. one's pointing at them going, ah, oh, those, those British migrants don't integrate. They just want to drink pints of Guinness and puke up in the street and they just want to talk English all the time. It's seen as a positive. Oh, we're, we're adding to the culture. Whereas other cultures, we don't understand them. They're not adding anything. And it's like, nah, I just can't. No. I think it's a topic we're going to return to uh, more than once over the next year, <laughs> especially if Mertz continues in this fashion. Yeah. But um, yeah, Dilly, thank you for sharing that. Like, it's really, I think it's it's enlightening. I think a lot of people wouldn't understand without you, you mentioning it. So thanks. Anytime.
That brings us to the end of the show. I'm going to deliver emergency packages of host and Zaf to Bavaria. No more coughing for you, Nick. No more coughing for me. Woohoo! If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post for the hashtag Decades From Home, all lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decades from home and contributing to help keep this little boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dillion at Dillialgama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and be sub next to Mal. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>